Welcome to the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam Jacquez, joined by Tyler Burton this evening. We're going to dive into a lot of uh, basketball talk, especially women's, which uh, actually I'm, I'm pretty pumped to talk about. The women's team are very exciting and interesting to follow. We got men's basketball. We're actually recording live during the TCU game, so we'll see how he did that discussion gets, depending on how that game turns out. Not off to a great start. And then, of course, uh, we'll actually dive into football. We got some some new videos on YouTube, which we'll link in the show notes as well, um, that you'll want to make sure you watch so you can follow along there. But uh, first, Tyler, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Work is crazy busy. Uh, weather is just as crazy out here in Denver. Feels like we're getting snow every three to four days. Um, saw where the state of Oklahoma got their first taste of snow uh, for the year in quite some time. So uh, no sympathy for, uh, for, from me whatsoever. Temperatures up here in Denver a couple weeks ago, negative 30 degree wind chill. We've gotten about, uh, I'd say, probably two foot of snow just in the last month or so. Uh, but yeah, things are good, man. Women's basketball is is absolutely on fire right now. This team is so much fun to watch. We're transfer portal news has kind of died down. What it kind of feels like we're now into the uh, into the uh, you know full effect of football off season. Uh, Diamond sports coming up. I guess we can touch on men's basketball here in a little bit. Don't really want to. Not sure anybody wants to. Buddy Hield, Isaiah Cousins, Ryan Spangler. We miss you so much. Hopefully, it gets better. But yeah, Adam, uh, you put out some really good content earlier today. Highly recommend anybody that hasn't already subscribed to the YouTube channel, go check out the Mainline Podcast. Adam put out a fantastic video today, uh, about nine and a half minutes long. Could have been a little bit longer, uh, but Davis Bevel at the Cotton Bowl happened, so no touchdowns were scored in Dallas that weekend. But yeah, fantastic video. Adam put together some really good content. Go check out that page uh, and get you get you guys excited uh, for the 2023 season. Yeah, it's really all it is is just a compilation of every single touchdown the OU scored this this past season, and it's cool to watch the highlights. It's always cool to remember some of the good good moments that happened throughout the year. But I think it's also interesting just to see all the different scores in one video because you kind of get some perspective, and uh, the way you look back on the season is different because. I don't know how to explain it. You'll just have to go watch it. Uh, again, the link is in the show notes of the podcast. So so check it out. But yeah, nine and a half minutes was all it took to go through every single touchdown that OU scored uh, this past season. And it felt a little bit light. Um, you know, OU was still decent as far as like average scores uh, per game. But there was a lot of games too where you look at it and you go, okay, I'm, I'm going back. I'm putting together the OSU, uh, you know, highlights. Whoa, there's only three touchdowns scored in that game. That seems wrong. That seems wrong. Or the West Virginia game where it's like you're almost a halftime and they score their first touchdown and you're like, that seems wrong. Surely they scored another touchdown in there. But I think it just kind of highlighted that there were so many dry spells and this offense never, other than maybe like the Kansas game, I'm not sure they ever had a, a great game from start to finish and were hitting on all cylinders. So I know we're kind of being negative off the bat there, but I think it brings some I guess if you want to be a sunshine pumper and say, okay, look forward to next year, they're going to be a lot better. It's not going to be worse than that. And it's going to be a much longer video next year. Yeah. And I think that that was one of the biggest things when watching, when going back and watching the video that you created was it kind of highlighted one, not just how valuable, you know, guys like Marvin Mims, uh, Braden Willis, Eric Gray, how fantastic they were this season, but also kind of highlighted as well, just the, the lack of consistency and the lack of, um, you know, um, 
I guess what, what, what do you call it? Co- complimentary football where, you know, offense would be, you know, playing, you know, you know, extremely well, but the defense can hand, you know, you know, couldn't uh, hang up, uh, you know, their end of the bargain, so on and so forth. But I think going back and watching the video, there's definitely some things that really stick out as you kind of forecast looking ahead to 2023, Jalil Farouk, you know, clear cut wide receiver, number one, uh, the touchdown that he had, you know, against Nebraska, the competitive touchdown catch that he had in the game against Florida state. I kind of, it kind of feels like we're just barely scratching the surface on what this guy could be moving forward. You know, this will be his first full season where, you know, he's going to spend the next seven, eight months where it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of an unspoken truth that he is going to be, you know, wide receiver one in that locker room next year. So now that Marvin Mims is gone, Theo Weiss has transferred, a couple other guys, you know, have portaled their way out. Um, you kind of have a feeling that in terms of the passing game next year for Jeff Levy and Dylan Gabriel, who last I checked, Jeff Levy is still the offensive coordinator. We're not even going to touch on the Alabama rumors. I guess we can if you want to, but it is safe to say, Adam, that moving forward, Jalil Farouk is going to be a much more bigger focal point for this offense going into next season. And, you know, I, I think that w- another thing watching this, Adam, that you put together, you did a really good job of highlighting, uh, you know, what I think is the excitement level is going to be super high about the 2023 running back duo in Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuk. Yes, I know Gavin just one touchdown on the year, but you could see in just one game alone flashes of what this kid could do uh, and you know how good this kid could be moving forward in an Oklahoma uniform. Last and last but not least for me, Drake Stoops, the touchdown that he had against Kent State in the south end zone. Uh, breaking tackles, tight roping the sideline, diving over the pylon, touchdown catch in Bedlam, like you alluded to, Adam. That was probably the fastest 28 nothing score that OU's ever jumped out to in a game. Unfortunately, they didn't score for like the last 52 minutes of the game. Uh, but, you know, when you, when you look at what Drake Stoops has been doing, you know, this guy just makes plays and just makes competitive catches time and time again when you need it most, Adam. Uh, and I think, you know, we sometimes take for granted how good 12 is. So, uh, especially when the ball in his hands, Mr. Consistency, Drake Stoops, glad he's coming back, poised to have another uh, fantastic season for Team 129. Team 129, Team 128, I- I'm a little bit burned out on that terminology right now just because of the team's performance. If they'd gone 10-2, and two, I'd be all about calling them Team 129 all the time. But I don't know, it has a weird th- taste in my mouth. When I think the next the video, Adam, that you need to make is just kind of like a compilation of the last five minutes of the fourth quarter for all six <laughs> six of the losses. We'll see if we can kind of nitpick and figure out some uh, some commonalities amongst those. Set a record for how many thumbs down we get on our YouTube yeah, videos if we did that. Well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit more in depth about touchdowns. And let's sure. start with the man at the helm there, Dylan Gabriel. He played in, I guess, what, 11 and a half, no, 10 yeah, and a half games, if I'm doing games. my mouth right. Uh, 25 passing touchdowns, six rushing touchdowns that we saw on the video there for a total of, of 31 total touchdowns. Mm-hmm. A little bit light. He did have the game and a half he missed. But I guess what are your expectations for what he will and maybe what he should contribute for this team next year? I think a large part of that, Adam, has to do, you know, with, with the guys around him. I know that that's the that's the cheesy, you know, off the off the uh, cuff answer to give, but there is going to be a lot of uncertainty on this Oklahoma offense outside of the quarterback position. And I think you could probably throw the running back position in there as well. 
you've, you've got to feel like uh, as an Oklahoma fan, you, you feel pretty confident about the running back room going into next season. But, you know, you lose Marvin Mims. You lose Theo Weiss. You know, there is kind of some unproven talent. There's a lot of talent in uh, in the wide receiver room, but not a lot of catches to go around. You've got Austin Stogner coming back, Jaleel Farouk, wide receiver number one, Drake Stoops coming back. But then you've also got some guys like an Andre Anthony Jr., the transfer from Michigan, Jaden Gibson going into year two, Jaquez Petaway, who I cannot wait to see. Uh, Oklahoma fans, if you were a fan of D.D. Westbrook or a fan of Hollywood Brown, this is going to be the perfect hybrid between those two guys. A true, uh, you know, big play, deep down the field threat uh, that Dylan Gabriel and Jackson Arnold are going to have fun throwing the football to these next two to three years. But yeah, I, I think that there's going to be there's going to be a lot uh, that Dylan Gabriel. There's going to be a lot of new faces, especially on the offensive line. Um, we kind of feel like Bill Beanbow, you know, a full off season, full fall camp. I know that we talk about it, you know, we, we've done it the last three years, Adam, where we we almost kind of feel like Bill Beanbow spends the entire non-conference play all the way up until the week of Texas where you fig- where they try to figure out what the best group of five starting offensive linemen is. Hopefully we can speed that process up a little bit more uh, as we go throughout this offseason. But a lot of good pieces moving back, but a lot of unproven young talent that these coaches are going to have to get developed uh, as we go into 2023. But the fact that DG is going to be back under center uh, slinging the ball downfield, that's got to give OU fans a lot of confidence for this team going forward. For me, I think 40 total touchdowns is a reasonable jump up and expectation for him. I, I'd split that 32 over the air and then eight on the ground there. What do, what do you have this year? 25 and six. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I think that's reasonable, you know, assuming he plays a full 12, hopefully 13, 14 games. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, increasing his production across both. I think he'll probably be a little bit more willing to run the ball. I think Levy will be more willing to mm-hmm. run the ball, though there are some questions about the quarterback depth now that we uh, only have, I guess, what, three scholarship guys at this point? Yeah. Mike, yeah. Yeah. Micah Bowens is gone. Yeah. Maybe. And I mean, he never sniffed the field last year, mm-hmm. uh, even in desperation mode. But, um, I, that's one interesting storyline to, to see. I wonder if maybe there's a potential, um, guy that could be pulled in that maybe like a, a slightly better Davis bevel level of guy, because we're just being realistic here. Like there's not a lot of playing time in Oklahoma with Dylan Gabriel and Jackson Arnold. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think things get pretty interesting depth wise next year with Jackson Arnold taking over and then a 2024 recruit. And that's about it. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll see how the depth improves, but I do think 40 touchdowns is probably a reasonable expectation uh, for Dylan Gabriel to, to show that yes, he's driving this offense to further heights. And I think you can reach a lot of your team goals. If he's in that neighborhood of 40, I think the 40 is kind of that sweet spot. You could probably set the over under around 39 and a half. You know, you mentioned 25 through the air, six on the ground this past season, he missed a game and a half. Um, so, you know, the, you've got to figure that that's probably worth at least four to five right there. But Adam, let's not forget too, Oklahoma wide receivers kind of had a case of the drops this season. You know, Marvin Mims dropped three, maybe four touchdown passes. You know, Jaden Gibson, uh, you know, he, he dropped one. Um, he's probably still running if he catches it. But you've got to expect that Oklahoma, go, you know, going forward, much like OU's not going to lose, you know, five straight one possession games, Oklahoma wide receivers are not going to drop you know, so many touchdown passes. So you would expect going into next season. I think that D- Dylan Gabriel, he is poised to have a big year. He's poised to build upon what he did in 2022, uh, but he's going to have to have some help around him uh, in order to get to the magic number of 40. 
Let's talk a little bit more about those receivers because last year, uh, as far as receivers go, only seven different receivers ha- had a receiving touchdown. And one of those was Zach Schmidt, the kicker. So that, mm-hmm. that really doesn't count. There's only six players that had a receiving touchdown uh, from, from OU. And so I went back and compared that to previous years because I know there's a lot of discussion around, oh, Jeff Lebby and, and LaDamian Washington only played you know X amount of receivers. And typically there's around 10 to 12 receivers, uh, people that would catch a, a touchdown pass in any given year. So that is quite a bit lower than normal. Now you go into this year and there's not a whole lot of experience in this offense. It's basically just Jalil Farouk and, and Drake Stoops. Mm-hmm. And I think we all expect Farouk to take a, a major step forward. He, he absolutely has to. And then Drake Stoops, who we all love, but he kind of is what he is. I think he he's kind of reached his ceiling. I don't think he's going to suddenly go off for 700 yards and 10 touchdowns in a, in a season. Uh, I just, just think that's who he is. So you've got Stogner coming back. You've got Petaway coming in. You've got younger guys like Gibson and, and uh, Nick Anderson. Uh, you've got new guys like Andrew Anthony, who's maybe he's had some injuries, but didn't produce, you know, a whole ton while he was at Michigan. So there's just a lot of unknowns there. I'm going to set over under here at nine and a half, nine and a half different guys that catch a touchdown pass for OU in 2023, which direction are you going there? I think I'm going under on this one, Adam. Um, it, nine and a half feels a little bit too rich for me. I mean, just kind of going down the list here, you know, I've got Sawchuck, Barnes, Farouk, Stoops, Jaquez Petaway, uh, Gibson, Andre Anthony Jr., Austin Stogner. That gets me to eight. And then, you know, I depending on how well this team performs, especially in non-conference, you know, fighting for that number nine and ten spot, you know, you could make a case for a guy like J.J. Hester, L.V. Bunkley-Shelton. Um, that you know, coaches and, and fans are have been high on going into last year. We'll see what he can do. Hopefully, he can get some more snaps. But then you've also got a lot of young guys like a Nick Anderson, like a Keon Brown. Obviously, Austin Stogner's not going to you know he's not going to play every single snap. He is your you know your your predominant pass catcher in that position room. But what can a guy like Caden Helms or a guy like Jace Llewellyn do in year two of this Jeff Levy offense? So nine and a half still feels a little rich to me. But no doubt about it, this offense is going to have the playmakers to where. Um, if they're executing and the offensive line is playing extremely well, Dylan Gabriel is going to be able to spread the ball, spread the wealth around the field. And I think that you could see, you're definitely going to see, I think, 10 to 12 receivers uh, get probably five to 10 catches at least this uh, this upcoming season. But nine and a half is a little rich for me. I'll take the under. I'm going to take the over on the nine and a half. And for the simple reason that I, I don't still don't trust Venables and Levy to play more of the younger guys because I just haven't seen them actually do that yet on either Mm -hmm. side of the ball, really. But I think what does give me hope is that I do expect some more blowouts to happen. And you're going to get some random guys in there that will probably catch a a garbage time touchdown. And going into last year's stats, you saw Brian Darby had two uh, touchdown receptions. And I I think there will be some more opportunities for someone of that level to come Mm -hmm. in and, and score a couple touchdowns that are kind of meaningless that we all forget about. Um, but at least helps uh, increase that number over the nine and a half. One thing that you didn't see in that video though, was a defensive touchdown. And we had quite a few interceptions. Actually, I thought, Oh, you did pretty good. I think there was Mm -hmm. something like 17 total interceptions throughout the year. And we got pretty close there with uh, Danny Stutzman at Iowa state Mm -hmm. getting real close to the goal line. there, not quite uh, crossing it to score a defensive touchdown, but let's, let's look into the future a little bit in 2023 which defender do you think gives OU the best chance at scoring a touchdown? Well, I'm glad you're giving me the first crack at this because I think the answer is pretty obvious. So I'll let you, you know, kind of dig a little bit deeper. But for me, it's Billy Bowman. Um, 
I think that, you know, not just his versatility uh, as a playmaker in the back end of that defense with what he's able to do, you know, playing the pass, but it's what happens whenever the ball, when he does get the ball in his hands. We all remember from his time back at Denton Geyer, um, and then along with a few plays that he's made over the past couple of seasons when he's got the ball in his hands, when Billy Bowman makes the interception, good things tend to happen uh, on the back end of that. So I think that you could possibly see a, a pick six from Billy Bowman. Um, th- there's always, you know, a case where, you know, a guy like Jalen Redmond where, you know, th- there's a fumble that just, you know, bounces up perfectly to a defensive tackle and he's just got a quick little 20-yard run into the end zone for six. But I think Billy Bowman is a safe answer. Um, Jaron Canick, I'll go out on a limb, pick six there possibly. But, yeah, give me, uh, give me Billy Bowman uh, as the best bet. Uh, if I'm going to place some money on who's going to be the first defender to score a touchdown next year. You mentioned Jalen Redmond. He actually is the last OU defender to score a touchdown. Uh, Iowa State. That was in 2021. Yep. And uh, I did also look back and see, has has any defender on this roster scored a defensive touchdown at the college level, both from the ones that transferred in, the guys that are already at OU, not a single one on the roster has done that. I don't know if that really means anything necessarily. I just thought it was an interesting little stat that I found there. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to go with Deshaun McCullough on this one. Playing the cheetah position, we saw Deshaun White have a lot of opportunities to interceptions. He even nabbed yes. one or two. And I, I think he's going to be in a position where you know he's going to have the opportunity for the interception. He's going to be rushing the quarterback. He's going to have those types of you know strip sack fumble you know potential returns there. I, I think he's going to be more central to where the ball is. And so I just think that's going to breed more opportunities for him to score a touchdown on defense. And the dude looks like a, a freak of an athlete. So yeah. <laughs> when he gets the ball, if I'm an offensive player, I'm getting out of his way and I'm escorting him to the end zone in that in that scenario. So uh, I think that would uh, be absolutely amazing to see him uh, do that mm-hmm. pretty early and often uh, because you know th- this defense has some players. Uh, it's got lots of what I would consider weapons if they were able to get their hands on the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see. It's all going to depend on that pass rush. I think both, you know, whether you want someone to score from a, a pick six or even just, you know, the, the classic fumble on a strip mm-hmm. sack. Um, so I think one of the things that's going to be really fun to, to watch Adam with this defense going, you know, into next season is, you know, depending on who the opponent is, depending on what the offensive scheme is, that Brent Venables defense is going up against. When you look, you look at the roster turnover that Bryn has been able to do in just one year. You know, maximizing the amount of talent that's coming in in the 2023 class. You know, obviously highlighted by Peyton Bowen and you know PJ Adebowale, but then also look at some of the key contributors that he brought in at some pretty significant positions from the transfer portal. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch what this what this defense does schematically next season because. You know, when you're able to recruit these bigger body, big frame, long, lengthy guys that are fast as hell, I think, Adam, you could potentially be looking at a situation where, you, you know, you, you look at a third nine or, you know, second 15 next year, and you might see six or seven defensive backs on the field for Oklahoma next season. So I think the possibilities are going to be endless, and it's going to be, it's going to be big for this team going through spring football this year to evaluate some of the new pieces that they've got on the roster right now, but also look at some guys that are, you know, going into their second year in this scheme, figuring out if position changes need to be had, like a Reggie Grimes or an Ethan Downs, or, you know, think about how how is a Billy Bowman or a Key Lawrence or like a Shane Witter, how are they going to factor into this defense moving forward? Um, but I think that from an athleticism standpoint, Oklahoma on the defensive side of the football has vastly upgraded the talent level. Uh, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Brent Venable's got a lot of new toys to play with. We'll just see if he can get him in the right spot and uh, 
get them playing well in the fourth quarter. I didn't put this one on the list, so I'll go first to give you some time to think about it. We saw one special teams touchdown last year with uh, a little pitch to to Zach Schmidt in the uh, Iowa State game. We didn't see a kick return or punt return of any kind for a touchdown. I think if it's going to happen, I I really, truly wonder if Billy Bowman is going to be back there returning kicks so often next year. Um, So I'm going to go with a punt return scenario, and I'm, I'm picking Gavin Freeman here. I think... We, we, we aren't sure that he's going to be the guy there, but he seems like the perfect guy to return punts. Maybe Drake Stoops takes over that role, but I think Gavin Freeman, that could be a really good spot for him with the type of speed that he has and uh, just an opportunity to get hit the ball in his hands more often. I'm going to go with Peyton Bowen. Ah. Punt, punt return touchdown moving forward. Another Denton Geyer guy like Billy Bowman, Peyton Bowen as well. You know, when you get when it's, there's just something that they've got in the water down there in, in Denton, Texas. Once once those guys get the ball in their hands, uh, they're pretty dangerous with it, and they're you know they're a threat to take to the house anytime. So I, I'm not a huge fan, Adam. I, I know that you know maybe once you get into like a, a conference championship game, OU Texas, you know you're you're uh, fighting for a chance to win a championship. I'm I'm all for your best guys, you know, being you know punt returner or back there returning kicks, but. I'm, I can't stand it during the season whatsoever. We all remember Billy Bowman getting knocked out in the TCU game because he got rolled up on on a kick return in the first quarter. So I think moving forward next year, I don't want to see Billy back there returning kicks. I would like to see maybe you know maybe a second or third string defensive back like a Peyton Bowen who's very you know dynamic with the ball in his hands. Gavin Freeman's another good one. Um, get for all you guys go back there. I believe it was the third touchdown of the season go back there and see what uh, gavin freeman can do when you put the ball in 82's hands so yeah give me peyton bowen though uh punt return touchdown i like that i think it's time we talk about what the people really want us to talk about this right? is what this is what they're here for this is what we're here for we're all about it lloyd noble center it's not the men's program that's lighting it up right now it's jenny baronchek's group yeah Everything that I want the men's program to be, the women's program is right now. They're they're shooting great from three point line. Uh, they're playing fast. They're passing the ball around, not just around the perimeter like the men do and kill the clock. Uh, they have an exciting brand of basketball. You've got tons of experience on this team, and yeah, they're they're at the top of the Big Twelve, but they're just fun to watch in general, in my opinion. And that experience between Anna Yunusa and and Taylor Robertson and Maddie Williams, this. I don't know. It felt like last year was kind of the foundation, you know, get in the tournament, didn't get out of that, you know, that regional bracket there that we were able to host in Norman. It sure looks like this team's headed that direction again in regards to hosting something at home. And I think the crowd's going to be pretty awesome when that does come around because we saw a great crowd this past Saturday uh, for Bedlam. But I just, there's, there's a lot of experience here. It, it feels like a, a deep tournament run is coming for this team. And I don't want to put you know too much expectations on them that we have disappointment later on, but it just feels mm-hmm. like the perfect ingredients are there for what's needed. Well, and I think that's why it was such a big deal that, that we made about it on this podcast, you know, you know, seven or eight months ago where Jenny Baranchek, she was able to talk the likes of Taylor Robertson, Maddie Williams, Anna Iannusa to come back and suit up for one more year in the Crimson and Cream. I mean, you just look at what this team is doing, Adam. Number one in the Big 12, number 12 nationally with a 16-2 overall record, 6-1 and in Big 12 play, averaging 87 points per game with a plus 12 scoring margin. And, you know, Adam, you talked about it, shooting 45% from from beyond the arc. That's absolutely absurd. You want to know how good that is, Adam? Oklahoma's final four teams seven years ago with Buddy Heald, Isaiah Cousins, Jay Wood, and Ryan Spangler, 
they shot 42% from three. So these girls are absolutely lighting it up from deep. And as long, I think moving forward, as long as Taylor, Maddie, Anna, and Skylar Van, because I do want to give Skylar Van some credit in here. They, I think that a lot of people always talk about the three-headed monster of Taylor, Maddie, and, and Anna. Skylar Van has been a really, really solid player for this team all season long. If those four can stay healthy, with Tot leading things at the at the point guard position, I think Jenny Baranchek's team has a chance to make a deep run in March, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Definitely. You you like that there's a trio there, and we kind of talked about this a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. the three-headed monster that this team has, that um, you, you're not, just like we're seeing with the men's team, where it's like Grant Sherfield and, and not much else, really. The women's team is, is the opposite of that. They have different scores that they can go to on different nights um, that allow, you know, allow you to win in different ways, um, you know, against different opponents. And mm-hmm. um, you love that. Uh, the one thing that I, I still want to see more improvement on from this, uh, you know, women's team is the the amount of turnovers per game. They're down about 2.8 turnovers per game compared to last year. It's still 16 a game, which is uh, in the women's game. It just seems to happen more often, especially when you play at the pace and the amount of passing that a, a team like Jenny Baranchek's does. But um, you would like to still see some improvement there because I think that that's one thing that can really, uh, come back to bite this team uh, at some points, but overall, yeah. you gotta love it. Yeah, and to build upon that, Adam, I think defensively, um, I think this team still has a little bit of room to grow. I know that, especially, you know, w- once you do, you know, get towards the the latter part uh, of the season, once you get into Big Twelve tournament play, uh, and you know, March Madness is about to kick off. You know, Oklahoma kind of has a tendency uh, to maybe slack off a little bit on the defensive end. Maybe that's because they just know that they can catch fire from three at any second and, you know, go on a 10 to two run and, you know, put the, put the game out of reach a little bit. But once you start getting into, you know, semifinals and championship round of the big 12 tournament, once you start getting into sweet 16 type of level in March madness, you can't allow easy buckets consistently. You've got to play, you know, you've got to play good solid defense for 40 minutes and we'll see what this team is able to do. But year two of Jenny Baranchek, 16 and one, or excuse me, 16-2 overall, the best team in the Big 12, the highest-ranked team in the Big 12. And, you know, Adam, it's a big, it's a big one tomorrow night. Oklahoma's take, uh, headed down to Austin uh, to take on Texas. If Oklahoma can figure out a way to go 2-0 and this week, I think you're looking at a top-10 team nationally uh, once, uh, once we flip the calendar into the month of February. Yeah, pretty exciting things happening Absolutely. for this program Absolutely. right now. Absolutely. And, and one that – Probably rightfully so. We made a lot of jokes about probably three years ago, four years ago, thinking, man, this program just felt dead. It felt like there was a lot of wasted money going in that direction. And now well, you had a you had a head, you had a head coach that was that had been stealing money from the athletic department for a better part of a decade. Yeah, but a total 180. I mean, this program is they're fun to watch. They're exciting. There's something I think that we can be proud of as fans. And mm-hmm. um, it, it's it's great to see that turnaround. And it was it was great to see. Obviously, living in Denver now, did not have a chance to make it down to see the game. But we always we always joke about it, Adam. You know, from our time working with OU athletics, you know, we always joked about, oh well, shit, I've got to be the one that's got to go work the women's <laughs> basketball game. Me and you know, fifty other people sitting in the top level. But you you go back and you look on social media, or you're watching the game, or you're in attendance, seeing nine thousand strong. At an OU women's basketball game, that's not something that we've seen since the Courtney Paris and the Danielle Robinson days at the Lloyd Noble Center. So it's awesome to see what Jenny Baranchek has been able to do in just a year and a half, such a short amount of time, building this thing back up to where 
you know, I don't want to say greatness, but the the brand of basketball that OU women's that this OU women's team is playing right now, that's kind of the standard that we've that we've seen from some of the elite teams in OU women's basketball history. And it's just fun to see the way that this team is playing and you hope that they can continue to stay healthy, continue to shoot the ball well from behind, from beyond the arc and hopefully this team can make a run into March. Definitely. And I don't care that that was a doubleheader with the men's game. And, um, you know, maybe some people had left or, or there wasn't actually 9,500 in the arena. It looked good. It sounded good. And so, and the I, second I, game was more, was, uh, was more entertaining. Absolutely. So hopefully more and more people say, Hey, I need to go back to this. This is my introduction yes. to women's basketball. Maybe I tuned out for a couple of years. I need to go back. I need to start tuning in on TV mm-hmm. and, and, and following this program. Cause there's, there's definitely a lot of excitement there. Long pause on flip the flip it. side, <laughs> men's basketball. We are recording while the TCU game is happening right now. OU's down nine, still in the first half, got off to a super slow start there. Just the offense is, is, is awful. I, I don't know any other way to really describe how pathetic it is to watch the offense in some cases, but regardless of whether OU wins this game against TCU, I know they're, they're a top 11 program right now. They're playing without Eddie Lampkin, a guy that gave OU a ton of problems uh, last year when he came to Norman, uh, made Tanner Groves mm-hmm. look like a, a little child. That happens frequently. I, it happens frequently. I, I don't know that you know if OU wins this or not, but I don't know. There's nothing about this program that makes gives me any type of confidence that they're going to be able to and I almost don't want them to maintain a position where they're on the bubble. I'd rather them just get off the bubble and, and be bad at this point rather than live in this limbo state all the way up until the final week of the year. It's I, it's kind of a fine line because I don't want to be too hard on this team and this coaching staff because we do play in the best conference in America in college basketball. You know, you've got to have your A game night in and night out, but it just kind of feels like very similar to what we saw from this OU football team where – they play well for stretches, but then at the very end of the game, once crunch time hits, they find a way to lose a close battle. And I don't know how many – we'd have to check with Bob Prisbillo on this of Sooner Scoop. I don't know how many games this season Oklahoma has lost by less than three points because they just simply go cold in the last two to three minutes of the fourth of the second half. And I, you've got a note on here, is it fair to place Porter Mosier on the hot seat? I'm not there yet just because I think that the talent level – with the recruiting class that he's bringing in, I think that there's there's still a level of improvement. You know, I think that we can have, we can revisit this and have this conversation this time next year. But one of the things that frustrates me like no other, and Lon Kruger was guilty of this as well. I don't know why, Adam. It is so damn difficult for the OU men's basketball program to recruit a competent big man. Not just a guy that can go out there and you know get you seven or eight points a game, maybe hit the occasional three point, uh, you know three, uh, you know three from beyond the arc, but a guy that can consistently go in there. And you know, I don't think people appreciated Ryan Spangler for how good he was. I know he wasn't a traditional seven footer, but he battled his ass off. He protected the boards. He rebounded extremely well. Protected things down in the paint. And he was a threat once you put the ball in his hands on the offensive end. So I don't know what Oklahoma. I don't know what, why they just simply cannot convince a guy to come in uh, and you know be an impact player at the center position. I know that you know very very similar to defensive tackles in football. That's kind of the premier upper echelon of talent that the elite programs like the Gonzagas, Kansas's, Dukes. Those are the programs that are snatching those guys up. But you just want—I'm sick and tired of watching Tanner Groves 
for the last couple of years. And I know expectations were high with this guy coming in, but any time that he goes up, I guess you can even make the claim every single Big 12 opponent, they have the advantage down low. And until Oklahoma is able to bring in a guy that can be competitive and be a difference maker down low, it's just going to be the same thing time and time again. Oklahoma does not have the guard play, especially shooting the basketball, to be able to overcome uh, deficiencies down low from the four and five positions. I never thought I'd long for the days of Kadeem Latin, but that's kind of where this program is right now. Um, you know, I miss Jamani McNeese. Jamani McNeese, yeah, just some athleticism there. It, it's it's so frustrating. TCU's you know star down low, Eddie Lampkin. He's he's not playing tonight, but it's frustrating to see a program like TCU that's not very good at basketball traditionally have better players down low than OU. West Virginia had a, a big guy that was um, you know eating up Tanner Groves in a lot of ways the other night. So. I think this team is successful when they do go small, when they are, are leading with Jalen Hill and maybe even Sam Godwin. He, he's playing his butt off. I don't think he's necessarily the guy that you want playing 30 minutes a night, but when he is in, I think he's effective. But yeah, this team is much better when they go small and, and you know, at least Tanner or, or both of the Groves brothers are not yeah, on the court. I'm with um, you. It, it's, it's tough to say that, but it's just how it is. And, you know, in regards to Porter Moser's job status, he's in his second season. I don't know what good it really does to label him hot seat status necessarily, but we're they're 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 staring straight in the face of missing the tournament two years in a row. And that hasn't happened since Jeff Capel's final two years in Norman. Um, you know, Lon Kruger got this program, you know, from a much lower level up to a much higher level very quickly. I know he's a hall of fame coach. He not a whole lot of guys like him, but I don't know what direction this program goes if we don't make the tournament this year, which seems incredibly unlikely. And then you got Porter Moser going into a third year with, I don't really know what to be excited about. Does, does Sherfield come back? Maybe does he excite you? I, I don't know. So I don't, I don't know what there is to be excited about. If he doesn't make the, make the NCAA tournament this season going into next year, I still don't think he's on the hot seat. He's in year three. You got to give a guy time to build a program, get his players in there. But you at least want to see some improvement in some areas, whether that is you know uh, you know t- talent level uh, increasing, whether that is you know guys playing harder. You see a different brand of basketball in year three compared to when Porter got here in year one and he was laying the foundation. But I, I do think Adam, you make a really, really good point. You miss the tournament this season. You miss the tournament next year. I think Porter Moser is going into year four, where if you're Joe C or whoever the athletic director is. If Porter Moser can't make the tournament in four years, you got to start over because as good as the Big 12 is, the SEC, it will eat you alive as well, just like in football. So moving forward, Porter Moser, please recruit a damn center and get these guys, get these you know elite guards that are coming in that are going to be freshmen next year uh, and start, start running some different sets. Start, stop weaving your way around the three-point line, waiting for the cl- shot clock to get under 10 seconds, and then either you know fire up a three-point shot or you know dump it down low and you know see if Tanner Groves can you know make a shot uh, once or twice a game. But we'll see, Adam. It's just not a there's just not a whole lot of momentum around this OU men's basketball team. Complete oxymoron from the uh, from Jenny Baranchek's group. So at least we got one good team at the LNC. I was just trying to look up. I, I don't know who it is. Um, I don't think it was Billy Tubbs or Kelvin Sampson. Um, I was trying to look up the last. Boy, Kelvin coach. Sampson's got it going right now. My God, <laughs> yeah. Houston's number one. 
Uh, How's that for coming into the Big 12 next year? Yeah, there's. it wasn't Kelvin and it wasn't Billy Tubbs. There, so I don't know who was before Billy Tubbs. That's well before my lifetime. But I couldn't find one coach that had missed the tournament three straight years at OU. Jeff Capel missed his two years and then Long Kruger missed his first year. So that stretch was, was three bad years combined with mm-hmm. uh, a coaching change there. If I, I don't think Porter Moser uh, survives three straight opening years of no tournament. Not that, and Long Kruger didn't leave the program in the greatest of shape, but it wasn't in shambles either, especially in the transfer portal era. I, I don't think he makes it three years without making the tournament. I think that's fair to say. You want to see, you know, kind of a steady climb, a steady growth amongst your program, um, especially when it comes to wins and losses. So uh, it's absolutely unacceptable if, if OU goes a three-year stretch where, you know, there are 500 or less uh, ball club and they fail to make the NCAA tournament. Um, yeah, if you do it three years, then I, I I wouldn't argue with you if you decided that you wanted to cut bait with Porter. But uh We'll see what he can do. Hopefully, OU can figure out a way to scratch their way into, you know, maybe a, <laughs> I don't know, maybe a, a 12 or a 15 seed, but it just does not look good right now. But again, it's so hard to judge because the Big 12 is by far and away the best conference in, in basketball this year. Um, there's, I mean, there's a reason it's why. It's always Lunardi, that way. It's always that way, though. Yeah, but there's also a reason why guys like Joe Lunardi have Oklahoma as bad as they've played and as tough of some of the close losses that they've had. They're still one of the first four out right now. So if you can figure out a way to to you know squeeze out some wins, hold serve at home, see if you can't figure out a way to win a game or two in the Big 12 tournament, sneak backdoor your way into a uh, NCAA tournament berth. I'm probably with the majority here as a pessimist, but OU plays Alabama on Saturday. I don't think they're winning that one. And then getting run, <laughs> they get a little bit of relief with Oklahoma State at home and then at West Virginia. Two games I think are, are must wins. Um, and then you finish the year with six out of seven against ranked opponents. The one unranked opponent is Texas Tech at home. They're not going to come in and lay down for you. They've got is that o- is that Oklahoma's so. best win? Texas Tech and Lubbock. E- Florida's kind of playing a little bit better. I guess you could make that argument, but yeah, I guess just... I think te- technically by the numbers, West Virginia is the is the best win of the year. Okay, but, okay. I mean, that's not very impressive either. So, this team, in my opinion, is just going nowhere. And mm-hmm. Joe Lunardi's predictions are, you know, resume as it stands today. I just don't see any way this team is able to get the the wins necessary, especially because you're going to have to steal a couple on the road. Yeah, and you're going to have to win against Kansas at home, in my opinion, to to have a chance. You, you might have to win against Alabama at home on Saturday, and I I don't see that happening. So mm-hmm. it's frustrating. I'd I'd almost rather be put out of my misery than to continue this exercise of let's see where the bubble watch is because it's a tradition unlike any other that we do pretty much every year for men's basketball and it's never fun. And even if we do make it in, you know, we're going to get hammered by the number one overall seed in the oh, second yeah. round at oh, best yeah. case scenario. So I just don't want any part of that. I, I want this program to be, to be better. And I agree with you 100%. I think it starts in the post and getting some talent there that has a lot more ability than what we've seen in, in recent years. So or just someone that's else? Not a, they're just someone that's not a liability on one yeah. end of the floor. Yeah. I don't. I, I don't really have anything else. I mean, we. I don't know if you want to touch on the the Jeff Levy at Alabama stuff. I really don't see anything there. That was kind of we kind of put that to bed two weeks ago. Um, Jeff Levy's not. I don't. In my opinion, 
and again, we're not the we're not we're we're not going to pretend by any means that we're the most plugged in or anything. But we do have a few people that we can turn to. In my opinion, I don't see Jeff Levy going anywhere laterally. I know that Nick Saban is a guy that you do pick the phone up if he does call. But those conversations have been had in the last couple of weeks, and I think that the next time that you see Jeff Levy, you know, changing coaching staffs is going to be when he's the head ball coach at the uh, school of his choice in the next couple of years. I'll count this as the positive so we don't end on such a sour note with men's basketball. But yeah, Jeff Levy, I think he's sticking around. I don't, I'm not too worried about that. Maybe he's just doing it to get OU fans to appreciate him a little bit more. You know, get make him feel like he might leave. And mm-hmm. and then uh, OU fans will start telling you how much they love you and how much they want you to stick around. It's funny Probably how that happens. Want, yeah, to, to stick around too. They don't want to have to uh, you know, sit on pins and needles wondering if Jackson Arnold will ask out of a national letter of intent. We've seen that happen uh, under different circumstances at other programs mm. in the country. So, 13 yeah. million reasons why. <laughs> I'm not worried about that. Well, we're going to dive into some more softball probably in the weeks coming. That That's coming around the corner. Baseball is coming around the corner. I think some things that are a lot more exciting. We're talking about women's basketball and how exciting that is right now. And of course, spring football is just around the corner as well. So we appreciate everyone tuning in tonight. Make sure to follow us on YouTube by searching the mainline podcast, follow us on Twitter at the mainline pod, and we will see everyone again next week for another episode of the mainline podcast.